Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we have something a little different. We recently traveled over to the Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness to do a joint podcast with Audrey Miller, the host of that agency's podcast, Intelligence Unclassified. Our subject, damn safety. The expert we interviewed was John Moyle of DEP. So sit back and listen to the first joint podcast between two state agencies and learn more about damn safety and about how our two departments work together to ensure the safety and security of the dams that are found across the state of New Jersey. Hi and welcome. My name is Audrey Miller with the New Jersey Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness and welcome to our season two of Intelligence Unclassified podcast. I'm here today with John Moyle and Bob Bostock of DEP and we welcome them here to be with us today. I work within our Preparedness Bureau as a state critical infrastructure coordinator and would like to share with our audience today a little bit about the Oroville Dam situation and what happened there in February. Thanks very much, Audrey. For those of us who are listening to this on our Discover DEP podcast, this is the first time in history that two state agencies doing podcasts have come together to do a joint podcast. And that's because both DEP and the Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness have responsibility for dam safety and dam security here in New Jersey. OHSP asked John and me to join them today because of the recent events in California around the Oroville Dam. John is going to help explain to us what happened at the Oroville Dam last month. 180,000 people were evacuated from towns downstream from this dam and had to leave their homes as a result of the emergency at the dam. So the first question I want to ask John is what was the situation leading up to this event? Bob and Audrey, thanks for having me here today. The Orville Dam is an earthfold embankment dam located in California across the Feather River. Uh, it's in the city of Oroville, California, and it's in the Sierra Nevada foothills east of the Sacramento Valley. It is one of the highest dams in the state of California, over 700 feet in height. The dam is used for flood control, recreation, water supply, and hydroelectricity. Prior to uh, this year, California was in a drought for a good five plus years. And uh, starting last fall, the uh, reservoir had been at its all-time low in 2015. But, you know, starting the fall of last year, there was more than significant rainfall in the watershed last year. And they had record snowfall in the Sierra foothills. Between February 8th and 10th of this past year, they received over 12.5 inches of rain in that short period of time. And the reservoir started to begin to rise very quickly. So, John, the portion of the drainage basin of the, uh, that drains into Lake Oroville is approximately 3,222 square miles. So that's a lot of land. So we're looking at a lot of rain, a lot of snowmelt, all draining into this one lake. So that will give us a, a bit of a picture as to how quickly that reservoir may actually rise. As it's rising and it's getting closer to the capacity to the top of that dam, 
How then do the owners begin to think about uh, lowering that reservoir? Well, the dam is operated by the California Division of Water Resources. And under normal operations, they have the ability to pass flow through two, two mechanisms. One is through the hydroelectric plant, they can pass flow. And then they have another outlet tunnel that allows them to pass flow. John, when you say pass flow, does that mean just water that goes through the dam? Water that goes through the dam. However, because of the wet season, they develop what they call an operational plan that allows them to determine, you know, at what level the reservoir gets to before they undertake certain operations with respect to it. So they try to increase as much water as they can, you know, through the hydroelectric plant and then through the outlet works. Once the reservoir fills based upon the rainfall and the snow melt, it ultimately gets up to the primary spillway where there's a gated spillway and then the water then flows through concrete channel down to the main Feather River. Ultimately, if the reservoir rises too much, then there's an emergency spillway that may need to kick in. So, John, in this case, I mean, it was kind of normal operating procedure for a while. I mean, it's not unusual for the dam to have to be lowered when the water level uh, rises too high. But in this case, it didn't work the way it normally does. What went wrong? Why was the why did this emergency occur where the dam didn't work as designed? Essentially, you know, as the flow began to increase and they started flow through the primary spillway, it got to that point where the water needed to be released through the primary spillway. They opened the gates. They noticed that there was unusual disturbance in, in the flow as it went down through the chute channel. Ultimately, they ended up stopping the flow. They did an inspection. They found out that there was a crater. What had happened was the concrete slab that founds the primary spillway it ended up eroding. There was some old condition that was not accessible before the flow occurred, which caused the spillway section to fail. So that was the unusual situation that occurred. The California Division of Water Resources uh, brought in the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission because they regulate dams that generate hydroelectricity, and they began developing a, a plan forward after that. So what other options do owners have to get water out of the reservoir like that? We talked about what happened with the main spillway. What about this auxiliary spillway? California DWR was then confronted with two choices, to use the main spillway, knowing it would likely be further damaged, or allow Lake Oroville to rise until it reached the emergency spillway. Damage to the main spillway began as a crater, but eventually the flow as it cascaded down this, this primary spillway the erosion became larger and it ended up undermining the wing wall of the downstream spillway chute. So eventually California stopped the flow, they did an assessment of it, and then they determined that they would reduce the flows through that primary spillway, hoping that the damage would be less. And they continued to monitor the rising flood levels in, in the reservoir. When we start to talk about this auxiliary spillway, um, you know, they, they kind of looked at different ways to modify use of this damaged primary spillway. Why wouldn't they just go to the emergency spillway to begin with? What was the concern with using that spillway? The concern with the emergency spillway is that uh, it's, it had never been used since it was constructed. When water flows over the uh, emergency spillway, it goes down a hillside 
and there's a hydroelectric power lines that transfer on that hillside, as well as uh, recreational facilities and roads that you know are, are are in the area. And they figured if that was to flow through that emergency spillway hillside, there would be significant erosion, and they may lose those facilities that are there. John, it sounds like in this case, things didn't happen the way they were supposed to. Uh, was there ever fear that the dam could break as the auxiliary spillway began to erode? What was the danger to people downstream uh, because this emergency spillway wasn't working? Well, shortly after 8 a.m. on February 11th, the emergency spillway began to carry water for the first time since the dam construction in 1968. Because the spillway is a separate structure from the dam, officials stated that they didn't think there was any danger associated with the main dam and that everything would be okay. But that didn't really turn out to be the case, did it? No. What had happened was there's an emergency spillway. An emergency spillway has a concrete weir on top of the hill, and then it just discharged through the hillside down back down to the Feather River. And the hillside is composed of weather rock and earth. And it was anticipated that the flow could safely discharge down that hill. But as the water rose, they began to get erosion because they expected the weather rock to be able to withstand the velocity and flow through that area. But unfortunately, that was not the case. And as the flow began to cascade down that hill, what happens is you get back cutting that eventually goes up to the concrete spillway. And as it approached that spillway, they were concerned that that could undermine the concrete portion. And that structure is 30 foot high. You could have a 30 foot wall of water that would then cascade down into the downstream community. And at that particular point, the Butte County Police Department activated their emergency action plan. And that's what resulted in the evacuation of the 180,000 plus people. And it sounds like maybe the 12 and a half plus inches of rain that had happened in the days or two before helped undermine the integrity of that emergency spillway as well. It was a combination of, you know, the rising floodwaters and their non-ability to pass all that water through the emergency spillway while they had to stop and, and reevaluate the primary spillway, that the water rose much quicker than they anticipated. And then when the water started flowing through this emergency spillway, it was a potential catastrophic event that, you know, that they needed to do something immediately. Kind of a perfect storm, really, of all these things coming together at once. Unfortunately, it was, and we are certainly sympathetic to the people that lived in those communities below there that were evacuated and had to leave their home for several days while uh, the California DWR implemented emergency repairs. What they did do is, as soon as they were able to double the flow that went through the primary spillway, they ended up getting more damage in the primary spillway but it was able to save the emergency spillway because eventually they were able to drop the level below the emergency spillway crest. And then they worked around the clock for weeks. Uh, they brought in emergency, they had the National Guard up there, they brought in almost every contractor in the area. They used helicopters to dump rock into that downstream hillside and they took the rock and then they used concrete and concreted the rocks in place so that if the reservoir did come up again and flow through that area, they would be confident that it would be safe and the communities downstream would be okay. 
And in fact, you know, they had been working on that through March 17th. And on March 17th, uh, they had dropped the reservoir enough that they had no flow through the emergency spillway or the primary spillway. But, you know, with the runoff this past spring, eventually the water did rise to a level that they needed to use the primary spillway again. But they had done interim measures in the primary spillway over the last month also. And uh, so far, everything seems to be working fine out there. Thanks, John. We both know that New Jersey is home to hundreds of dams. Um, Is something like this situation really possible in New Jersey? What do we have to think about? In New Jersey, you know, we're some of our dams certainly don't meet the size criteria as those in California, but we have three classifications of dams in the state of New Jersey. And so I understand that we have high hazard dams, we have significant hazard dams, and low hazard dams. And by hazard dams as a as a categorization, we're not talking about the stability of the dam. We're talking about more, what is the hazard? Should that dam fail? What are those consequences? So of those categories, um, what, really, we're talking today about more high hazard, right? Because if we're talking about the Orville Dam, we're looking at a comparison here for New Jersey as a, as a high hazard dam as well. So what can you tell me about what we do here in New Jersey to help ensure the safety of those dams? Sure. We have 1,700 dams in the state of New Jersey. And as I indicated, there's three classifications. High hazard means that to have a failure of that dam, there's potential for loss of life downstream. Significant hazard means that they're going to have some property damage, but loss of life is not envisioned. And then you have low hazard. If we have a low hazard failure, the dam will fail, but there should be no property damage or no loss of life downstream. So of those 1,700 dams, we have 222 that are considered high hazard, 340 that are significant hazard, and 1,141 that are low hazard. So what are we doing to ensure their safety as, uh, from a state perspective? New Jersey has a a very strong dam safety program and the fact that we have strong regulations in place. Uh, We have a robust inspection program. So all our high hazard dams have to be inspected every two years by a licensed professional engineer hired by the dam owner. In addition to that, for those large dams in the state that are mostly water supply reservoirs, those dams, if they exceed 70 feet in height or 10,000 acre feet of water, They have to be inspected every year by a licensed professional engineer hired by the dam owner. In addition to that, we have a licensed professional engineer from the state of New Jersey that also goes out and does that inspection. Okay, and so following that inspection, what what happens? So following that inspection, there's a written report that looks at the dam and identifies any deficiencies, and the dam owner then is required then to implement those deficiencies. And it could be whether it's regular maintenance or it could be some long-term concrete repairs that may have been identified, like the Oroville Reservoir Dam, where there was damage in the spillway that needed to be repaired, or they may require that further engineering studies need to be undertaken. So once that report comes into the state of New Jersey, then we will then follow that up with an order that they need to implement those repairs. And so what are some of the things that you, aside from doing the inspections, that you require of the um, high and significant hazard dams here in New Jersey? Are there certain things that they have to do on a, on a regular basis? So in addition to the regular inspections that are required, each high and significant dam owner has to have an emergency action plan. And that plan is written by the dam owner. It includes inundation mapping that would show the areas that would be inundated should a dam fail. 
that emergency action plan is then distributed to the downstream communities so that the downstream community, should we have an event like they had at Oroville, the community knows what areas need to be evacuated below that dam. And for all our high hazard dams, those dam owners need to do a, an emergency plan exercise every year to make sure that document is up to date and the maps reflect the current you know, development downstream. So I guess back to your original question, could something like this happen to, in New Jersey? Unfortunately, back in 2004, we had a really extreme storm event in, in Burlington County where we had more than 10 inches of rain within a few hours. And as a result of that storm, down we ended up, we had 18 dams that failed during that event. Certainly nothing to the extent that could have happened with a high hazard dam. So of those 18 dams that failed, they were mostly low hazard dams, whether they were recreational ponds, and uh, we didn't have any loss of life, but we did have some damage associated with those dam failures. So in that case, we're talking more property damage, correct? It ended up it was property damage, but you know, 10 inches of rain in itself is enough to cause flooding problems. So, you know, we had, the damage was really restricted to the dams themselves and the communities. There was a lot of lake associations around the Burlington County area. So you had homeowners that normally look at a lake, now they're looking at, you know, mudflat. Sure, and that's something to wake up to. John, I have to say, I feel a little better already now at the end of this or near the end of this podcast than I did at the beginning when you were talking about the Oroville Dam, as you've described all of the measures that uh, DEP takes to ensure that these dams are in good condition and that uh, should there be any problem, that there are plans in place to make sure people are able to get out of the way before they suffer any injury or loss of life. That's uh, very comforting, I'm sure, for all of our listeners. Just to put things into perspective, uh, let's talk a little bit, uh, a few of the superlatives. You mentioned that the Orville Dam is the tallest embankment dam in the United States, 770 feet tall. That's the equivalent of almost an 80-story office building, so that's a pretty big dam. What's the largest dam that we have? Uh, what's the tallest dam? Let's put it that way. What's the tallest dam that we have here in New Jersey? Bob, the tallest dam that we have in New Jersey is the Merle Creek Reservoir, which is located out in Warren County. That dam is 280 feet in height. So when I tell people that I work dam safety and they say, well, we don't even have any dams in New Jersey. Then yeah, everybody I tell thinks them that, of the Hoover Dam or something. Yeah, That's right. And I say the tallest dam in the state is 280 feet high, and, and they tend not to believe what I'm saying. That, yeah, that's pretty big. That's almost a 30-story office building. But still, the Orville Dam was th- almost three times the size of that. So we've certainly got nothing uh, on the scope of the Orville Dam. What about what dam in New Jersey has the largest storage volume of water behind it? In New Jersey, the Round Valley Reservoir, located in Hunterdon County, has 168,000 acre-feet of water. Now, some people may not really understand what an acre foot of water is. Just think of one acre in size, one foot of water deep. So the Round Valley Reservoir has 168,000 acre feet of water. But if you compare that to Oroville, Oroville was 3.5 million acre feet of water. Wow, that's almost 20 times the size of uh, our largest uh, Round Valley, our largest dam Round Valley in terms of storage volume. That's quite a difference. What about largest surface area here in New Jersey? The largest uh, reservoir surface area is the Wanakee Reservoir located up in Passaic County. And the reservoir has 2,600 acres surface area. And that's compared to the Orville Dam surface area is, what, some 15,800? Right. Six, yeah. Six times greater than Wanakee. Wow. 
things are bigger in California when it comes to dams, aren't they? <laughs> they sure are. <laughs> and then uh, the, you had mentioned earlier, you talked about the uh, Lake Orville's drainage area is about 3,600 square miles. What's the largest drainage area of uh, a dam here in New Jersey? The Dundee Dam, which is across the Passaic River, has the largest drainage area in New Jersey, and that's 800 square miles. And it's what we call a run-of-the-river dam structure, and it crosses the river from one bank to the other bank, and people don't even realize it's there. But it also, when we talked about categories of dams, this is even a low-hazard dam. So if we were to lose that dam, we'd only be you know, losing that dam on the, on the Passaic, and we'd have no property damage downstream as compared to you know, the, the drainage basin out in California for the Oroville Reservoir Dam. That drainage area of the Oroville Dam is at uh, 3,600 square miles, is almost half of the total uh, land mass here in the entire surface area in the entire state of New Jersey. So think of that. Think of, you know, 195 north, perhaps, you know, being the entire drainage area for the Oroville Dam. We've got nothing approaching that, certainly. So thank you both for that. And I think what we what we see here today is really there's a number of conditions and a, a variety of aspects that can really impact a dam's safety. And um, I think that we learned a little bit about some of those today. And so I think we also understand that just by the sheer magnitude of what has occurred uh, or the size of the of the Oroville Dam and, and what we have in New Jersey, that the situation here is, is certainly a different landscape, um, pun intended, <laughs> here in New Jersey. And so I just want to really thank both both of you for adding uh, some clarity to the situation and helping our, our uh, listeners really understand what the elements are to consider some of the characteristics of dams that are in their communities. And so I just want to thank you and ask, John, is there anything else that you'd like to add for our listeners before we close? Well, certainly thank you, Audrey and Bob, for giving me an opportunity to talk about dam safety in New Jersey. As we indicated, dams are part of our critical infrastructure in New Jersey. And as we all know, infrastructure is a hot topic right now, both here in the state of New Jersey as well as down in Washington, D.C. Recently, the American Society of Civil Engineers, who evaluates infrastructure needs, released their 2017 report card and gave dams a grade of D overall for the United States which is pretty poor because, you know, uh, that's very close to a failing grade. Uh, fortunately, in New Jersey, we've recognized the need to have dam repair funding in place. And there's good news coming forward in New Jersey. The department has identified $40 million in a revolving loan program that was set up by bond issues back in 2003. So this spring, we'll be accepting applications for repairing our high and significant hazard dams here in the state of New Jersey, which is a very positive thing so that those people that live below these dams, you know, can sleep at night knowing that the state of New Jersey is investing infrastructure dollars in making sure that our dams are safe. Well, that's awfully good news, John. And I want to just finish by thanking Audrey Miller and everyone here at the Office of Homeland Security and Preparedness for inviting John Moyle, of course, to participate in this podcast. Anything John does not know about dams is not worth knowing. Uh, he is the go-to man in this state for dams. And uh, it, I think we can all sleep better knowing that we've got John Moyle making sure our dams are safe and secure. Uh, those of you who are listening to this podcast who are subscribers to 
to the Homeland Security and Preparedness podcast, we'd invite you to subscribe to Discover DEP, which can be found on iTunes and Google Play. And we hope that some of our other podcasts might be of interest to you as well. So again, Audrey, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity. We hope to be able to return the favor at some point, have you over to our studio and have another joint podcast. I think it shows how closely our state departments and agencies work together to keep the people of our state safe and secure. So thank you very much. Thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this joint podcast, and I would encourage you to check out the link on the description of this podcast to OHSP's podcast, Intelligence Unclassified. They talk about a lot of interesting things that I'm sure you'll enjoy listening to as you enjoy listening to this podcast. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.